2017, the Libertarian Union was formed. Finally, the average Joe Libertarian could find a thriving community of independent podcasters and content providers, all in one convenient location. At Libertarian Union, we'll always have the latest news, interviews, discussions, and even movie reviews. With hundreds of episodes and more added all the time, you'll always find something fresh at libertarianunion.com. Hello and welcome to the next episode of The Last Nighters. We are The Last Nighters, Robert and Daniel. I'm Daniel. Robert is on the line with me. How are you doing, Robert? It's true. I am here. I'm here and we're, we're here to talk about a movie. We are. We are. And we're going to talk about a movie from South Korea and the Olympics are happening in South Korea right now. So it seems timely. Uh, we're going to do a movie called I Saw the Devil. And I'm going to pull up the Google description here. Uh, in the meantime, you can find Show notes and more for this episode at lastnighters.com slash seven, the number seven. So here we go. I Saw the Devil came out in 2010 in South Korea. It's a drama slash thriller, two hours and 23 minutes, 7.8 on the IMDb, 80% Rotten Tomatoes, 3.7 out of five on Hulu, and 90% of Google users like it. And here is the description. On a dark road, taxi driver, King Chul, comes across a scared female motorist stranded in a broken-down vehicle. He pulls over, but not to help her. When the woman's head is discovered in a local river, her devastated fiancé, Kim Soo-hyun, a trained secret agent, becomes obsessed with hunting down her killer. Once he finds Kung Chul, things get twisted. After brutally beating the murderer, Kim lets him go free, and a demented game of cat and mouse begins. I had a U.S. release of uh, 2011, March 4, 2011, a South Korean movie, 12.8 million U.S. dollars in the box office. Robert, what do you think of that Google description right there, my man? Yeah, you're kind of clipping out on me. Sorry for the listeners at home, but um, I think you said, how did I think about that? Uh, I don't see anything really wrong with it. It, it uh, says enough to get you interested and it doesn't, doesn't spoil anything. So yeah, good stuff. Um, I just want to note that uh, this movie stars uh, Min Sik Choi, who also starred in Old Boy and is in a bunch of big, big, big South Korean movies. Um, uh, Kim Ji Woon, his first movie uh, was The Chaser, another excellent, excellent movie. We might do that at some point in the future, but um, big actors in this movie for the South Korean film buffs, and uh, well done here. All right, and before before the show, you had been telling me this is one of your favorite movies, so um, what I think I'd like to do is let you kind of guide the discussion. I know you, you have some notes and um, again, spoilers all the time. So if you haven't seen the movie, please just stop playing the show right now. Go watch it and then come back because we're going to talk about some, you know, some pretty key events that uh, you don't want to know are coming uh, if you haven't seen the movie yet. So how's that sound to you, Robert? And, and maybe you can drag us through the categories a bit and uh, just have the driver's seat, man. Okay. Well, the opening of this movie, I just want to mention the artisticness of this film. Um, Kim Ji-woon, I think, in the, especially in the beginning, is in full-on, like, Coen Brothers slash Tarantino mode. It opens very beautifully on this, like, snowy night, and there's this soft music playing, and it's just a very good um, setting up the tone and the, just the feel and vibe of the, whole, of the whole thing before it gets, you know, takes a hard right turn and turns into kind of a... Uh, you know, in, in lesser hands, this would be kind of like a slasher movie because it does feature a serial killer and then kind of like the super cop guy who goes out for revenge on this serial killer. Um, you know, in, you know, in a U.S. like horror movie, 
the serial killer would kill a bunch of people. And at the very end, like the attractive girl would end up killing the guy, like through some, almost through no fault of her own, but, or who knows what, but she would come up with some reason and actually sort of kill him. In this movie, uh, it's more about the revenge and the, re- the, 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 the mindset of the person seeking revenge. And does he go too far? Does it change him irreparably? Of the mistakes he makes, can he live with those mistakes? You know, um, it's so much smarter and, I don't know, it's brilliant than your average whatever crap horror movie that we get over here in the United States. Now, I would add that in your summary of, of how U.S. films get made, then after the, the girl accidentally kills the, the villain, the villain would do something to indicate that they're not quite dead. <laughs> yeah, because, you know, you got to come back nine more times, right? Because you can't let a good idea die, or at least a, a, an idea that makes money, even if it's not yeah. not particularly a good idea. Franchise, baby. Franchise. That's right. Cockadoodle profit, baby. So um, one of the cool things that this movie does is that it kind of flips your expectations on its head a bit. Um, when the super cop kind of gets in, he's like a trained killer guy, like a super soldier, like special forces guy who's working a bodyguard situation and anything. Anyway. When he becomes, you know, when the, when the he becomes the predator, right? He becomes the hunter of the guy. Then the movie shifts to the killer's perspective as he's being hunted, and that's something you don't really get in like a U.S. movie. And it, I think I thought it was really interesting the way it kind of played out. You see his worry, you see him getting angry, you see him like feeling like the victim, but then you get the catharticness from the audience point of view of seeing all the the pain and suffering that he goes through. And one of the things I wanted to talk to Daniel about was a, what the title of the movie meant to him. And at what point does the serial killer or does the, uh, the super cop guy, the protagonist, does he ever cross the line for you? It was there ever a point at which you would have tapped out. All right. Well, let's take the uh, first question first. The, I saw the devil. What does it mean to me? Well, I consider this sort of a, um, a breaking bad situation over the course of the seasons, he goes from happy-go-lucky science nerd teacher to fucking Heisenberg, right? And mm-hmm. over the course of time, you know, he actually develops into this more uh, evil and dangerous person. He is the danger, as they say. And I think that's what they're kind of doing here, where they're letting Supercop kind of take on the role of allowing his um, his anger to take hold of him, like giving in to his hate, to use some Star Wars speak, and become a monster himself uh, to... Um, to fight the monster, right? And so I think right. that's kind of what they're shooting for here. And that is, you know, that he sees evil in this serial killer guy, but then he also sees that he is similar to the serial killer and he's starting to enjoy it. And so it's sort of like looking in a mirror, you know, he sees himself in this other, in his in his opponent. And he sees that he has to come to his level uh, in an effort to fight him, you know, the fire with fire kind of thing. Indeed. And so was there a point at which, I mean, you're saying that he really becomes the monster, and I would agree with that. To a certain level, he kind of does stoop to his level and in order to exact justice as he sees it. Because he's the one really that I think has any kind of claim on what justice is at this point. He's the one that's been wronged the most. I mean, the, the father of the, uh, of the woman that was killed also, but he's really in the position to extract justice as opposed to handing him over to any kind of justice system where they put him in jail for any certain amount of time. And the best you can feel about it is that, okay, well, he wouldn't be out able to hurt more people. But here, he takes the justice into his own hands and is able to extract what he feels is required in order for justice to be served. 
And my question then, again, to repeat it, is, is there some point, and you kind of said so with your answer, but at what point would you have said, okay, this is, he's going too far? Now, because he also makes a mistake, right? But I'm not asking you about the mistake yet, which allows the serial killer to escape and to go and kill more people. But does he go too far in terms of getting revenge? Well, I mean, it's a, it's a good question. I, I think that the mistake is almost inextricable to the going too far area because his going too far is the being a cat playing with his victim, you know, playing with his food. I think that that is not only his mistake, but also his moment where he goes too far. Like he's no longer just exacting revenge or seeking justice. Now he's kind of... He's, tor he's torturing him. He's torturing him, but then he wants to let him go, uh, but just to, to hunt him more, you know? And then he's got yeah. the, the GPS thing on him. He's made him ingest it. And, and I forget, at some point, the serial killer discovers that that's what's going on. And then he goes, get some, uh, some diuretics to get rid of it. <laughs> yeah, he, he, eats, he ingests some laxatives. Right. When he kills the, uh, the pharmacist. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So um, for me, it, it's, it's inextricably tied with his mistake is, is where he's gone too far. And I would add, and this is an interesting point that I wanted to ask you about, is at what point does he bear any responsibility for the actions of the serial killer who he has now agitated and then released out into the world against unsuspecting and innocent parties? Right. And that is, I think, the crux of his guilt, right? Because he sees himself as wanting to get revenge. And in order for him to get revenge and to see that he's punishing this guy enough to put him through the things he put his victims through, right? That he needs to capture him and beat him repeatedly, only to have him, you know, kind of patch him up so that, and then release him again to, so he can do it again. So he can feel the terror of being hunted and being at this guy's mercy, you know, just being completely helpless against this like super predator guy. Right, but it doesn't but, work because yeah. the guy doesn't care. Right. He's not exactly the best. Yeah, he's not terrified, really. He just kind of gets angry <laughs> and thinks that he's like, you know, found like a, a mirror image, sort of. Like, you know, we're both really good at this and you messed with the wrong guy sort of thing. You don't know what I'm capable of. And he turns it around on the, the super soldier guy and finds more people that he cares about that he can harm. So your question, does he bear any responsibility for not just killing this guy when he had a chance? to essentially, right? So if he had, first of all, if he had just straight up killed him, of course he wouldn't have the movie, but if he had just killed him when he first catches him, would you have said, you know, dusted your hands off and said, hey, justice is done. Everything's cool. This is exactly how I would want things to play out in some sort of a Encapistan type of world. Well, I mean, that's a bit of a tough question, but yeah, I mean, kind of, you know, it's, it's yeah. It's, okay. It's, I'm, I'm on board. <laughs> and it's almost, it's almost Hatfield McCoy territory here. Uh, but there are of course, social norms and pressures that would, I think, prevent most of those things from happening. I mean, clearly this guy is a psychotic killer. Um, I think that you would have to have pretty good confirmation that it's the guy. And in the movie, of course, you know, it is obvious he's found his wife's um, engagement ring or it's, is it his fiance or his wife? Fiance, right? I believe it's his, yeah, his fiance and she's, she's pregnant. Right. But yeah, it's an engagement ring. Yeah, he finds the ring. And then he, of course, um, when he confronts the serial killer for the first time, he's in the act of raping slash about to murder another victim. Right. So, yeah, there's no pretty doubt. Pretty confirmed that this is a bad dude. Yeah, this is, right. the, this is the fucking guy. <laughs> right. So, yeah, I, I think that uh, in that sense, you're not dealing with someone who's going to be rehabilitated. You're not dealing with, um, you know, a monopoly court system that's going to actually provide any level of justice other than, like you said, maybe preventing him from being out on the streets. So, yeah, I, th I, I think that the immediate thing would have been justified 
uh, but also then you don't have a movie. So there's that. Right, right. Okay, so then on to the next point, because we're in agreement on that one. Does he bear responsibility for any, not like total responsibility, right? Because, of course, the killer is ultimately responsible. He not only is the one that is killing everybody, but it's it's the same kind of argument where, you know, the government will arrest somebody, try somebody, put them in jail, and they get back out, and they commit another crime. And then, you know, people want to say, well, then the government somehow bears responsibility for this guy's crimes being out. And I would say, I mean, of course, it's a tough question. <laughs> to what level? I mean, it's probably going to be a different answer for anybody. I would say, ultimately, they're not responsible. You are not responsible for the actions of another. But is that going to prevent you from feeling guilt over, man, I had it in my hands, and I could have ended it all, but I had to, you know, satisfy my inner sense of justice, and that got a couple more people killed. Yeah, man, it's a, it's a tough question, I agree, because there is self-ownership, and you're responsible for your own actions, but at the same time, he did have control over this person, and he wound him up and then released him, allowing him to, to wreak havoc. And it's almost akin to, um, you know, in Logan, Professor X was having these brain uh, brain bomb, bomb yep. action and, and Logan's like taking him into Las Vegas, you know, like three million people might die. Um, I think yep. that Logan bears some responsibility for putting all those people at risk. And uh, I think that that's what's going on here. And I almost uh, uh, want to say that because the serial killer had done such an egregious thing that the super cop uh, had, you know, had the, uh, maybe not the moral right, but he had the motivation to track this guy down, confine him, basically, you know, control him, right? Take him in his, into his possession in some respect. And then releasing him uh, when, when, you know, he's, he's clearly a murdering asshole. Um, yeah. Yeah. You, you, you had him and you, voluntarily decided to release him you know it's not like he so, escaped you know it's like you chose to do this you chose to right. let him go he absolutely voluntarily released him for sure so would you charge super cop with a crime well i mean are we talking in capistan are we talking monopoly justice system provided by uh you know a well i mean clearly there would be some kind of social repercussions i think in uh in capistan where you know, if the truth came out that he released him on purpose, there would be absolutely people making, you know, judgments on whether or not they wanted to associate with him and condemnation and that sort of thing. But you're saying he bears responsibility for those murders, the murder of the pharmacist and the father and the the sister, which would have been his family-in-law, but they weren't quite because they weren't married yet. Then if he's somehow responsible, then is he guilty of any crime? Yeah, I don't know. That's a tough one. Um I mean, are we talking in a existing legal structure or, I mean, if, if, if we're going into an Ancapistan scenario where um, common law is sort of a basis of building upon prior decisions that are, uh, you know, in a bit of a market situation, I think that there would be found some way to address this grievance because, as you said, there would be very upset parties who would be looking at this guy and blaming him for releasing this killer out onto the you know, onto innocent people. Right. So and you can't say that it would be a negligent situation because he clearly wasn't negligent. He voluntarily, intentionally released the guy. You know what do they call that? Malicious, maybe? Malicious or, you know, like some sort of a manslaughter type situation? I don't know. Yeah. But Either I, way, I, I would, it was a bad, I would bad call. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it was obviously a mistake. Um, and he obviously regrets it at the end of the movie. But I think it is interesting that, yeah, these things would sort themselves out. I mean, as often as these the situations would come up, I don't think they would come up too much. But 
yeah, um, it would be it would be sorted out in a kind of a market type situation, um, and the best and the best the resolution would win out. All right. So, what did you think of uh, all the serial killers in this movie? All the cannibals and just the murders. I feel like this movie was put together by the uh, South Korea Tourism Board. Yeah, it certainly makes it look like a very dangerous uh, country to be in because anyone you run into is potentially a serial killer. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, there, there, if you haven't seen the movie, and I don't know why you wouldn't if you're listening this far, but yeah, there are, um, let's see, one, two, three, four, five serial killers portrayed in this movie, if you count the, the girl, Cannibal. Yeah, she's and then the taxi certainly driver. part of that, yeah. Yeah, yeah, so... I mean, it, it made sense that the, um, you know, the main antagonist would know the, uh, the cannibals, but the inclusion of the taxi driver scene, I thought was kind of, kind of wild and kind of like, that's kind of a coincidence. I mean, although he is kind of walking out in the middle of the night and he just so happens to find um, people like him. But uh, anyway, did that, did that scene bother you in any way? It was a little too coincidental. Yes, absolutely. And this was one of the things I was withholding from you prior to doing the episode. And that is, this killed the movie for me. Uh-oh. This was so ridiculous that he's going to, A, get picked up by two guys who just murdered a cabbie and then discover, oh, that you don't look like that picture. Oh, you're that guy. Or, you're, you know, you're, you're up to no good. And then they start stabbing each other in the cab. Um, and, right. And then to come upon the cannibals, who he knows for some reason, and they're fans of his, yet the police don't yep. know who this guy is or whatever. Um, right. But they are currently at some rich family's house, taking over the house and murdering the family and eating them. So right. how does Mr. Serial Killer, who seems to be aimlessly trying to get, you know, somewhere, I don't know where, uh, run into them? <laughs> Did I miss something? Yeah, it, uh, well, no, I mean, I... I gave the the cannibals a pass because, yeah, I mean, it, it's weird that they are all in this little area together. But I would assume that they kind of know each other, and it's clear that they know each other, and that they, you know, are into the same things. And maybe they've been in that house for a while. It looked like they'd eaten many people. But the taxi drive um, situation, yeah, there's really no excuse for that, um, other than to show some wild. I mean, these movies, these movies are famous for their wild. Um, Slashy, hitty, punchy, kicky type fights. If you watch enough of these South Korean movies, especially movies like Old Boy, this, and uh, a movie called um, New World, there aren't a lot of gun fights. There are some, and there are movies that feature a lot of gunfights. But for the most part, um, guns are like highly, highly, super highly regulated in South Korea. So a lot of the thugs will fight with knives and, you know, whatever they have, bats and that sort of thing. And it's kind of a big deal when somebody has a gun. And it makes for more interesting fights. And it makes for an excuse to have your, your um, combatants be really super bloody. There's an elevator scene in New World that is very much like the taxi scene in I Saw the Devil, where there's just somebody with the pump and squirting the blood all over everything, all the time, everywhere. Um, for visually and for the effect, I, I liked it. But yeah, it doesn't make sense in the story. It's, it's far too convenient. And ultimately, it's not necessary. The, the taxi scene can be removed from the movie. And, you, it, you know, it's probably just a tighter, more cohesive movie. Um, but I still want it in there just for the, the mood and the setting and the feel of the movie of being kind of this chaotic, I don't know, kind of this chaotic world where life is just, you know, worthless. And there's these really twisted people and, 
this um, guy is just kind of descend, the super cop guy is descending into this world of madness and, you know, these, these psychopathic killers. So for the story, yeah, doesn't make sense. For the tone and the setting, I like it. But I understand why it ruined the movie for you, and you're not wrong. All right, so what's the redeeming quality? I mean, you, you say you like the scene and you like that there's revenge happening, but you're you're giving this a pass. So what is so strong? Like, what's the key thing that, that salvages the movie for you? The entire movie? I mean, one scene, one bad scene does not ruin a movie for me. I mean, this whole movie I thought was fantastic. Still still holds up, I mean, upon multiple viewings. Um, the fact that it's a psychological thriller, revenge thriller. First of all, any kind of revenge thriller really hits me personally because I'm, I'm a big fan of justice. And, you know, these movies always start out with some horrific injustice. And then the nature of revenge and how it changes a person and how it feels. I mean, I wouldn't say that the protagonist in this movie is any kind of a winner. He's horrifically changed. Not only has he lost his fiance, but he has done horrible things. And he has to live with the guilt knowing that he released this guy to kill more people that he loves. So he feels partially responsible for that. Um, he's like a walking wounded at the end of this movie. And there's a huge change in his character from the beginning to the end. So there's a big old arc. Um, all the actions have consequences, real world, real consequences. So, yeah, it's a movie that doesn't pull any punches. Maybe it's a little bit weird in some parts. And, you know, there's maybe a scene that doesn't make sense or two. But, um, yeah, I think this movie is just really well done. Fantastic. I'm glad that you feel differently about it. I like it when we don't always like the same thing. Like in The Lion King. <laughs> Yeah, like in The Lion King, where you liked that dumb movie, and I was right, and I hated it. And you were you liked it, and you were wrong. All right. Well, excellent. So one other scene that really bothered me, and this was the um, serial killer guy is about to turn himself in, and he's in the middle of the street. And then Supercop breaks the door off of his vehicle, and then does this J-turn, like, reverse 180 spin to catch the guy in the door and then kidnap him. Yep. Uh, I know that's supposed to be like super whiz-bang awesome effects and, and stunts and stuff, but it seemed really dumb to me. Like, what was the point of doing that? Well, he had to get him. He didn't want to, you know, let him capture, be captured by the cops. Because then, then the serial killer guy was going to turn him in, right? Uh, I don't think he was worried about that at I that th point. I, I thought that was the thing. Like, he was going to, his nefarious plot to, you know, use police resources in evil ways, seeking his own justice, was going to be discovered. I, uh, that's interesting that you got that. I very much got the feeling that this guy was like, no, I, I'm not going to release this, the justice in this case to other people. I am seeing this to the end. Justice may be done that the heavens fall. I didn't see that as any kind of self-preservation move on the part of the super cop guy. Okay. Well, cause there was that moment, there was that moment in the hospital where he's confronting the cannibals. Yep. And the cannibal says, well, here's what he's going to do. He's going to, kill anyone that you know and then he's going to turn himself in right to and, escape him to ultimately win right and and I, and I thought that it was also implied because when he gets the bug from the tech nerd guy and then the tech nerd guy you see him like once or twice again throughout the film um it's it's almost as if oh you might get caught using resources inappropriately right and i am sure he would have but i think that was so far down on his give a shit list at that point yeah, well, I thought there was this whole buildup to that was going to lead to he's going to be found out to, as the monster that he has become torturing this guy and, and releasing him back into the wild. And that that would put um, the uh, super cop guy in some deep shit. Oh, oh, oh probably undoubtedly. Um, although, yeah, I mean, he's also a cop and, you know, cops cover for other cops all the time. You know this. They never get in trouble. 
So rare, rare, I'm sure the rare the, example, the rare example gets made. Very, very few. You know, every once when there's a huge scandal, huge scandal, they'll throw one cop under the bus and say, hey, it was that guy. He did it. But nine times out of, well, 99 times out of 100, they will get the guy who did it. They capture the main serial killer guy and they blame every single thing on him. And you can't trust anything he says. And he's just an evil guy. And then they, you know, throw him in jail or they kill him or whatever. And then Supercop is exonerated or celebrated as a hero. And the truth never actually comes out about what actually happened. That is, I think, a more realistic situation in the real world. I, I tend to agree with you there. So let's shift this over to we're not really talking about categories in this one, apparently. And that's fine. That's fine. I think our listeners are they know by now that when we say stuff, we don't really necessarily mean we're going to stick to the script. Um, <laughs> yeah. We've talked about the character arc of the super cop let's talk about the serial killer guy because he changes too and i don't fully understand his motivations even at the beginning uh do you want to yeah. talk about him a little bit because it seems like he's an older guy you know he's probably middle-aged and he's been doing this for a while and i don't understand why he's abducting women why he's chopping them up and why um like halfway through the film now it becomes like kind of rapey whereas earlier he seems to have no interest in that at all yeah, uh, this movie didn't spend any time explaining the motivations of the serial killer. And I don't think that's super important. I mean, I think it might trivialize. If they had said, you know, well, he was abused when he was a child or blah, blah, blah. I think it might have kind of trivialized what he was. I kind of like that he was unexplained. Because um, you're right, he, he, his motivations aren't clear. I mean, usually a serial killer, usually, from what I understand, um, follows a very strict method right? Like they always decapitate them and they always take the toenails off and they always, you know, pickle the calves or whatever. There's always some sort of uh, ritual, you know, nature to it. Like everybody's got their own way. Like uh, the bind, torture, kill guy. He would always bind them, then torture them and then kill them. Um, this guy, this guy, you're right. He does a couple different things and it's not clear what his ritual is or his deal is. Um, I did appreciate though that he was a predator that had a job where he could have easy access to, you know, prey. This is the case with most predators. Um, if you see a lot of sex offenders, you'll often see them in like teacher roles or like uh, government roles where they're in charge of people, charge of children, because, you know, where do spiders make their webs? Where the flies are. So I, I appreciated that he drove a bus for a school. And then he would go drive around and look for people in you know, need of assistance. And if they struck his particular fancy, you know, he would kill them. And they were young, vulnerable women. Because ultimately, you know, he's a coward. And these people are often cowards. If they, you know, they're not going to charge into a group of men and threaten to kill anybody or anything like that. They're predators who prey on the weak in their most vulnerable times. So I thought that was really good. But maybe it would have been a little bit stronger movie, I agree, if he had a certain technique or a thing or whatever. Maybe it would have helped you understand them as a person. But I kind of like the idea that he was like this chaotic psychopath. And the whole movie is kind of chaotic and psychopathy. And, you know, there's this normal dude who has to wade into those waters. And then that's helped his descent into his own kind of madness. Because at the end of the movie, he ends up not only killing him, but he makes the guy's family experience his death with the whole guillotine door situation. Now, for you, was that crossing a line? Because, yeah, I kind of feel like it was crossing a line for me. Um, the, the line that was crossed for me there was how dumb that was. Oh, really? You, did not, you just thought it was stupid? All right. Well, I'll, I'll mention this, and then we'll, we'll go back to the character a little bit. Yeah, it was dumb because 
they've got this contraption set up to where the door opens and then it's going to do the guillotine on the guy and his head's going to roll out to his family who by the way don't like him um and he's gone crazy and abandoned his son with his parents and his parents uh seem to be rather well they 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 bicker and fight and it it seems to portray that he didn't have a, a good childhood but he's in there saying no don't open the door no leave the door alone no don't open the door and what do they do they open the door I'm sorry, but yeah, okay. that's dumb because they can hear him and he's saying, no, don't open the door. So why, why open the door? Well, to be fair, he doesn't say why, but yeah. And, and he also has a thing in his mouth, so they can't quite under, you know, hear what he's saying. I mean, his voice would be muffled. And yes, we're, we have the benefit of subtitles. Yes. But they don't. <laughs> I don't so know. we understand what he's saying, but he's got this rope in his mouth and you know, maybe they don't. It just seems so, like yeah, I understand contrived. what you're saying with the stupid thing, but I, I gave it a pass for, for that reason. Okay, it just seemed a little contrived, and uh, I don't know. I, I didn't see how it related to, I mean, yeah, the, the first victim that kicks this whole thing off, she got decapitated. Um, I mean, I guess that's the callback, right? That's like the closing the loop on the thing. Well, I mean, put yourself in the protagonist's shoes. The, the, the guy is basically begging you to kill him multiple times. So how do you get any kind of revenge if the guy wants to die? Well, and yes, yes, he doesn't, he doesn't care about anything, right? He's abandoned his family. So obviously he doesn't really super care about them. But what other choice does he have? You got to do something. And I, I got to, I'm saying that this character, the protagonist at this point in the, the, the story, he feels that he's got to do something to exact some kind of punishment on the guy. So that was the best, I guess that was the best he could do, was kind of involve the family to, I don't know, maybe there's some kind of a cultural element to, you know, Korean families that maybe we're not super privy to. I mean, I don't know, even if I hated my dad, I wouldn't want to cause his death by opening a door. I mean, clearly he's not morally responsible for opening the door that does the thing that makes his head chop off. That's on the protagonist guy. But still, that's going to traumatize you. <laughs> I opened the door that chopped my dad's head off and then the head rolled to my feet. That's kind of messed you up. Maybe it's not the best thing. And I think he crossed the line there, but it was his, I think it was showing his character, the descent of his character. Well, I mean, that he was willing to do that. So long as you don't sell the dad to a blind kid, I think it's okay. <laughs> Our dad's heads are falling off. Take, take, take the head back on and then sell it to a blind kid in a wheelchair. <laughs> yeah. Oh man, we're, I think we've, we're crossing some lines here. Oh geez. All right. So the the serial killer, he seemed to have this uh, cachet to him, his this presence to him, to where he was a Hannibal Lecter style like godfather of serial killers. You know, the cannibal dude was looking up to him and and all that. It almost yes. was like um, he was this revered like, oh, I can't believe you know I'm meeting my my hero or my mentor or somebody famous. You know. Right. Right. Um, but I don't know how that happens in in real. I, I mean, I, I can't imagine that would happen in real life, and the guy wouldn't get caught. Um, but you know, when he first encounters the serial killer guy in the greenhouse, and he's just like, "Oh, you're a cop, huh? All right, well, I'll deal with you." You know, <laughs> I don't know. It just seemed like um, he was a, a a badass who didn't care about anything, right? And at the end, when he's on the guillotine and he's like begging for him to kill him, and then begging for his life, and then I think he's just playing the super cop, you know, probably because then he reveals he's like, man, I don't, I don't give a shit about anything at all whatsoever. And you can't kill me. You know, I will never die. That kind of thing. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, his head, his head fell off. Um, <laughs> but, <laughs> to kill people, but yeah, uh-huh. I don't know. It just, 
I don't know what else to say about it. I, I, I do see why you liked it. I did like the mood and the music, and, and I guess we can start wrapping this up because we're about uh, 45 minutes into this episode here. Um, so there was a good ambiance, and, and it's a well-done movie for the most part, but I think that there are some extra superfluous things that don't necessarily fit very well. And, I mean, it was already almost two and a half hours, so you could easily cut out the taxi stuff and cut out some of this other stuff and still had a pretty tight and cohesive movie. So that's my take on it. I think it might have been part of the movie. Fair enough. Um, You know, it's not going to work for everybody. Certain decisions are made when you're making a movie that are going to appeal to some people and not appeal to other people. I think all you can do as a director is tell a story that you want to tell and please yourself because, yeah, there's just no there's no pleasing everybody. Um, but, yeah, I, I think your opinion is absolutely valid. Um, I happen to disagree with it, but I think you're, you know, it's fine. You're, you're, you have your reasons, and I think they're good reasons. Um, I happen to like my reasons, and that's cool. Um, I, I'm, I do want to ask you, though, having seen this movie, are you interested in seeing more movies like this? Or is this kind of turning you off to the whole genre? I would say I am interested in seeing more foreign films and more films like this. I did recently watch the Ip Man trilogy, and we also have Ung Bak, which I need to watch. And those have been um, those were recommended highly. And of the foreign films I have seen in the past, I have been impressed with many of them. So I think it's a it's a good category, and it's uh, one I will continue to be interested in, especially when there are movies that that have something cool about them, like they're recommended for a particular reason from someone I respect such as you or, or say um, like Mike C who's been a guest on our, some of our other episodes. Sure. Awesome. Well, great. Um, yeah. I don't have a whole lot more to say other than we can talk about the craft, I suppose a bit. Um, I thought it was an incredibly well-made movie, well acted, although the, uh, the main character is kind of like plays with a stoic kind of guy. And that's, kind of a running theme in almost every South Korean movie I've seen. Um, the villain has way more emotional range than the hero. Hero, for some reason, is always this stoic um, dude. Although, you know, there's a fair, you know, the protagonist in this movie does break down at the end. But, um, and, and when he sees, you know, the scene with the, uh, the ring and knowing that his wife has been murdered or his, his fiance has been murdered. I mean, I, I'm saying when let's let's do this the tear jerk category. Were there any tears jerked for you? Because I did tear up several times, especially during when he finds the ring. No, no tears. Sorry. Okay, no, fair enough. It didn't really get me in the feels, though. I did feel dread for the uh, for the woman in the car because it is a little bit suspenseful. You know, you don't really know what's what to expect, and I like that that they sort of built that up. Um, but I do have another critique of the the killer and that is he's hitting people in the head with hammers and pipes any one of those blows could kill someone and if his goal is to just incapacitate them and then put them in a plastic bag and then torture them and eviscerate them and cut their heads off uh i think that he was going about it the wrong way (laughs) (laughs) not a critique of technique for the serial killer by daniel excellent i know that's awkward right (laughs) It just got weird. You're uh, doing it wrong, dude. You gotta, you gotta hit him. Okay. <laughs> yeah, but you get what I'm saying, right? Like, it just seemed like any one of those blows could have just ended that particular scene. And if his point was to kind of get off on it or uh, accomplish some ritual type thing, like you were talking about before, um, I don't think that he was doing it in a way that would have been likely to consistently satisfy whatever urge he was trying to uh, trying to scratch. You know? Right. Right. Well, I mean, maybe they're making a point on, you know, the uh, the motives of a serial killer. You know, we just can never really truly know them. Um, I don't know. Uh, there's another movie, the the first movie by the same director called The Chaser, which deals with a very similar subject matter. 
Um, maybe you'll like that one a little bit better. I don't know. There's there's definitely more discussion of the motivations of the killer in that movie. Um, it's another kind of revenge thriller that um, doesn't have a big, sweet, you know, I think it, the, the beauty, I think, of these foreign films for me is there isn't some sweet, sappy, happy ending. Now, it, ultimately, it's not like super satisfying. Like, you don't get that cathartic feel of, yes, the good guys win. But it's more of a realistic take on things that I appreciate. And maybe that's not translating into box office success in the United States, but that's just the way it's going to have to be. Yeah. Well, anyway. let's, uh, let's do our final uh, rating and review and uh, wind down this uh, episode of the last nighters number seven, lastnighters.com slash seven is where you can find the show notes page and more. All right. So uh, this movie stays at the top of my list for revenge thrillers. Um, maybe I haven't seen all the good ones yet, but I do enjoy a good revenge thriller. If you know of a good revenge thriller, let me know. Um, hit me up at uh, Robert at ActualAnarchy.com or Trumpster at Twitter. Um, this movie is like a 9.2 for me. Um, it's not a perfect movie, but it is so close to a perfect like revenge thriller movie for me that, yeah, it, it ultimately completely earns its rating. Um, excellent performances. Well made. I don't know what they're going to do with the remake. They're probably going to have to cut out all the blood. Um, probably cut the taxi scene for the American remake. Uh, might turn the cannibals into, well, maybe still have them be cannibals, but you're not going to see all the body parts and the whatnots. And maybe the scene of the guy dragging the girl and whatnot. Now she's about to be murdered. And who knows how it's going to be sanitized for uh, Western audiences, but we'll see. Um, I think the original holds up, and I encourage everybody to watch it if you haven't seen it. I don't know why you'd be listening. Why did I say that? Who knows? Anyway, hope you enjoyed it, and hope you enjoyed us uh, blathering on about it. Daniel? All right, well, well said. Well, I'll just give a summary of, of what I was saying before, and that is, in general, I like the mood and ambiance of the film. I think it's well made, uh, but there are just so many leaps of coincidence and uh, a lack of understanding of, of what is driving this the, the psychopathic killer, which I guess is a, a bit of a um, kind of, it answers its own question. <laughs> Maybe uh, you're just not supposed to know. Uh, so after talking with you, my rating is actually higher than I was expecting. So I'm going to give it a seven out of uh, 10 on our episode seven of The Last Nighters. So seven for me. All right. So you, you talked it up. Yeah, baby. I convinced you a little bit. I like it. And you also convinced me too. Um, I originally, you know, I worried that the, the, the coincidence of the taxi scene, I, it kind of bugged me a little bit, but not as much as it bugged you. But having you talk about it a little bit did kind of, you know, throw me like, yeah, maybe it's, it's not necessary and it could be done without it. So kudos to you as well, sir. I want to thank everybody for listening. It's been an honor and a white privilege talking to you tonight. And uh, that's it for me. All right. Well, thanks for joining us for this episode of The Last Nighters. And uh, good night from last night.